Birds are singing. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas, my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets it's match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. I can't even, I'm just going to jump right into this. We have a treat and a half for you today. Because today joining us on the pod is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. We all know her as one of Hollywood's most influential, iconic actors and producers. She starred and executive produced HBO's hit series Veep. She was Elaine Bennis in Seinfeld and Christine Campbell in The New Adventures of Old Christine. She has won 11 Emmys with 26 nominations, breaking records for the most Emmys ever won. She was recently honored with the White House's National Medal of Arts. That was so beautiful to see. The highest award given to artists who advance the arts in the United States. Good job advancing the arts. Thank you. That was my intention. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And it's so hard to tell who's advancing it. So it's good to know. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. She just released her new podcast, Wiser Than Me, a 10-part series of candid, witty conversations with women over 70. I cannot wait for this. It's so good. We got to listen to two secret episodes. Yes, Yes. we did. So good. And her fantastic new film, You Hurt My Feelings, which I I just, we're going to talk about that later because now I'm rethinking the ways that I parent and it's just really done a number on me to tell you the damn truth, is being released in May. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and for that lovely introduction. Thank Mm. you so much. Mm. What a treat to be on your groovy, fabulous, successful podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our new t-shirts that we're going to wear around the house are going to say groovy, Groovy. successful. That is a good thing for a Mm t-shirt. Groovy Groovy and successful. successful. Because uh-huh. you can be successful and decidedly not groovy. Most and you can be people groovy who are groovy and decidedly not, are successful. not successful. It's a good cocktail. I just don't <laughs> know if Glennon or Amanda are groovy. We're not. We're, no, we're not no. groovy at all. We're, we're no. ungroovy. We don't have a groove to be found. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I would love to talk to you about yeah. women and being funny. Because I'm funny. You are. I am not Julia Louis-Dreyfus funny, but I I am funny enough to have it be one of my favorite things about myself. And mm. I didn't know that being funny was something powerful about me until I went to college when mm. I was in like a total immersion program with these dozen other hilarious women. And before that, I had kind of thought my job was to be 
most attractive when I was adaptable and kind of letting other people shine. And I've Mm. heard you say that going to an all girls school was really wonderful for you because you could be outspoken and a joker. And I just wondered what is it about the power of women being funny and about being with all women that allows folks to unlock that? Do you think that that's true? Well, it was true for me to a certain extent. I did go to an all-girls school from third to 12th grade. And actually, full disclosure, it was a very conservative school. But there's something about the all-female experience, certainly in terms of being in junior high and high school and being with uh, only women, that affords a kind of assertiveness and directness. It it helps engender that Mm -hmm. in a way that I think would, speaking for myself, would not have been the case if boys were there. I would have demurred Mm -hmm. to boys in an effort to stupidly get the boys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was, when I was in high school and stuff, I was involved with student council and I was president of this class and I did all of these things. I'm pretty sure I would not have gone for that if it had been in a co-ed situation. By the way, this was the 70s too. So um, different time. I also very much, I think to a certain extent, push back against the system there. Certainly certainly towards my junior and senior year, uh, I was a tad rebellious, uh, sort of against the conservative uh, infrastructure of the school. And I I, I don't know. I think that all served me well moving forward and going to college. Mm-hmm. And do you think funniness is a way of asserting yourself? Why aren't we funny when we're young around boys? Well, I mean, I certainly hope that we are. And I certainly hope mm-hmm. young women are if that's how they're built. You know, not mm-hmm. everybody has to be hilarious um, or anything like that. But I do believe it's a powerful way to communicate. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there are certain boys that can be threatened by that. Not necessarily the boys you might want to hang with, but I, I do mm-hmm. think that there is a, a a powerfulness to that that can be threatening. It isn't always, but it can be anyway. Mm-hmm. In my experience, sense. I have found that that a lot of men have been jealous. I used to play soccer. So I am respected in a way that I think probably a lot of funny women are are in some ways respected, by men and then hated by the men who also aren't funny. Right. Like, Uh because that's a standard in our culture that little boys and men, that's like something that they want to be. Yeah. They want to be funny. Oh, interesting. It's a way of taking control of a situation too. Don't Mm -hmm. you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the opposite. If the ideal little girl way is to be unassuming to be funny is assumes a lot. Mm. You're like, I am assuming that the eyes should come to me. I'm assuming I have something to say. I'm assuming that it might go well. It's such a risk too. It is. It's always a risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always a risk to put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely a a strong way of communicating. (laughs) Speaking of risks, when your mother was 60, she wrote you a letter and she was talking about some things that happened in your family. And she said, I wish that we could talk about what happened. And you called her and said, what's stopping us? And that's how you started therapy with your mom when she was 60. No, not when she was 60, when I was 60. When you Uh, were 60. Yes. Okay. So that's how you started therapy with your mom when you were 60. When I was Um, 60 and she was 87. Get out of here. That is awesome. Swear to God. Yeah. She wrote me, it was around the time of my parents were divorced and, uh, and I, I really had no memory of them together as, Mm -hmm. as, uh, parents, they were very separate and everybody was doing the best they could, but there's stuff there that had not been unpacked. And so it was around the time, I believe, of my dad's birthday. He's he's passed, by the way. And my mom wrote me something like, I know it's, this is your dad's birthday and he's on my mind. And there's a lot that I wish we had been able to talk about certain things. And then I said, I said to her, well, what's keeping us from doing this? And so we did it. And it was really a wonderful experience. Hard, 
heart, mm-hmm. but also ultimately very uh, gratifying. And I feel blessed to have been able to have done that with her. Wow. Did you have confidence when you said that? Because I'm just astounded. There's all of these unwritten rules in families about what yes. we talk about and what we don't talk about. And in this case, it was a written rule. Like, sorry, we can't talk about this. <laughs> Were you surprised when she was able to go there with you and agree to go to therapy? And, and No, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I think looking back on this, I was surprised this hadn't come up earlier. <laughs> um, my mom is a very thoughtful person and is certainly doing what <laughs> a lot of what Jane Fonda talks about, actually. Mm-hmm. I know you guys have spoken with yeah. her and, and she's talking about, you know, the three acts of life and doing a life review. Mm-hmm. And my mother is very much uh, of that, uh, of a same mind. Mm-hmm. So I, I was sort of surprised. It was like, oh my God, why haven't we done this before? Mm-hmm. You know? I'm 47 and I have so many friends who are now looking back on their childhood I always mm. talk about this New Yorker cartoon that I can't stop thinking about. It's like this guy who's probably like 70 and he's laying on the couch. He's in therapy. And he says, I had a really hard childhood, especially lately. And it's like <laughs> this idea that you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't normal. But most people, when they start to bring it up to their parents, there is this no thank you, like a fragility of I can't look back on that because I did the best I could and we cannot judge it up. And because parents are desperate to believe that they were good parents and they think that their kids are saying you weren't good parents. Was there some of that in therapy? Like, how did it go? She talked about the lens through which she looked at life back then when I was young, growing Mm -hmm. up. And I did the same, trying to fully understand our respective points of view of our life together Mm -hmm. um, in a way that maybe really hadn't been discussed in great detail. And I know what you mean about, I mean, I'm a mother. I I really, if I do anything in my life, I want to have mothered my children in a way that it was um, nurturing. However, having said that, nothing's perfect. Mm -hmm. You are going to fuck up as a parent uh, under all circumstances. That is, that's life, man. Mm -hmm. And coming to terms with that. And I just hope, and I don't, I'm not implying my mother fucked up, but (laughs) but, but what I'm saying is as a mom, you want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you really do. I just think it's beautiful to normalize the idea of the review of the actually being open to later with your adult children saying, you tell me your perspective, I'll tell you my perspective. Yes. It's a really beautiful, we should see more of that couple's therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's not just married people that should go into couples therapy. Yeah. It's, you know, siblings. It's a great resource if, if one has access to it. Mm-hmm. And I also think that as a working mother, because I was really working when I gave birth to both of my kids. And, and I mean, I was worked my whole life. So I really had a career in addition to being a mom. And that was always a struggle for me. And I think that like, if I were to talk to my kids about that, I think honestly, I would be in fear of them saying, you weren't there enough for me or something, you know, because it was this balancing act that was just completely impossible. To tell you the truth, there was no completely impossible. It's just impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Yeah. The weather's getting warmer, which is wonderful because we can say bye bye to big, bulky sweaters and jackets and hello to shorts and tees. I just ordered three of Quince's muscle tanks check out their European linen shirt dress. I got it in the blue and white stripes. Classic. It's beautiful and summery and gorgeous and linen, and it was less than $50. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince cuts out the costs of the middleman and passes the savings to us. But they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. You will love all of it. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince. 
com slash hard things for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash hard things to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hard things. You were the one to walk your dad home at the end of life. And you've talked movingly about how hard it was to lose him. And you've also been very open about how he was a narcissist and extremely hard on you. And I was reading about how after your first appearance on SNL, he called you to read a bad review. He didn't read me a bad review, but he himself, he was not impressed with my performance. Oh, he, uh, oh, he gave you a bad review. He gave himself. you a bad review. <laughs> yeah. He had you a bad review. Yeah. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm sure he was right, but it wasn't delivered uh, kindly or thoughtfully. And also he was right. (laughs) So there you go. First of all, do you have that? Is that a voice in your head? Like that voice telling you that you weren't good enough? Is that a voice that gets stuck in your head? And is that the voice you're speaking back to all the time? The voice in my head, there's a thing, a, a sort of a self-loathing thing that can overcome me. If I don't Mm -hmm. like something that I've done, I can't let it go. Mm -hmm. It takes me days to uh, relax about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not a good feeling. Right, right. Mm. Can you talk to us a little bit about your dad and what it was like to be loved by him and get to the place where you were accepting him for who he was? Totally. He was a wonderful man in so many ways, a very successful um, businessman, but really he was a poet. Mm. He wrote a lot of poetry. He was, he was published Mm. um, in, and he was incredibly charismatic, very funny. He was a a big liberal Democrat. Mm. He was on Nixon's enemies list he was nice. very proud about that fact. In mm-hmm. fact, the article in which he is listed as being on Nixon's enemies list was framed and hanging in his office. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I am now the proud owner of that oh, artifact from his life. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And he was highly intelligent, a real intellectual guy, and also very, um, very much, yeah, a narcissist. Everything was very much about him. But the thing is, is that he was super interesting. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and his opinions were meaningful. They were informed. And um, like I said, he was hyper intelligent. But he was also, you know, sort of not available in a lot of ways emotionally. But I reconciled that, I think, at the at the end of his life just by being with him and understanding his limitations. He had a very, very, very unhappy childhood, really I think borderline abusive and if not abusive. And so he he had a lot of stuff in his life that mm-hmm. was unresolved. And the more that I understood that about him and what his limitations were, the more I was able to um is forgive the right word, relax. Mm-hmm. Relax. Dang. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. That's right. That's good. Yeah. Just relax, relax. about it. Yeah. I love that you just use that word because it's the same word that you used when you were talking about how it takes you a couple of days of self-loathing to relax. It's <laughs> it's interesting. Guys, I sound crazy on this show. No, you are you freaking welcome. Kidding? We're all crazy on this yeah. show. <laughs> we're gonna take a left turn. I want to talk about your son Charlie, because he played basketball at your alma mater, Northwestern which is very he cool. sure did. That's no joke. It's D1. That's like the real deal. Uh, and I, yeah, I can imagine you have sat on a lot of sidelines watching him play throughout his yes. life. And, you know, parents on the sidelines should be a comedy sketch all on its own. Fantastic. Did you experience that? What were you like on the sidelines? Yes, I did experience that. <sighs> And I would like to say that I was well-behaved. Wow. You would like to say that or you can say that? (laughs) I can say that. Nice. Good job. Um, But that does mean I didn't scream a lot. It was so much fun to go to his games. Oh, my God. And he went to the tournament. His sophomore (gasps) year, they went to the tournament. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
And um, they didn't get past the second round, but they did get past the first round. And it was just totally thrilling. I've never been so terrified. I was so nervous. Um, I can't sit next to my husband uh, watching a game. That's the only thing that I could not do. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Every I, I can't describe it. I needed space to have my own anxiety about the game that wasn't uh, connected to his anxiety about the game. <laughs> but I really just loved every second of it. Aww. It was such a great experience. Yeah. How old are they now? How old are your kids? 20, 25 and 30. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're right behind you. We have 20, 17, and 15. What, oh, wow. What is it like to have a 25-year-old and a 30-year-old? What's happening now? Well, it's pretty interesting. Okay, so your 20-year-old is not at home anymore. No, no? he's, he's in sophomore college. in college. Mm-hmm. Sophomore in college. Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, that transition when each boy went to college was ginormous mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I was gutted yes. by that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because raising them, I never thought about them leaving. <laughs> you know, there was kind of a denial there. I was just, oh yeah, my boys, are, you know, they're here. It never occurred to me <laughs> yeah. that they were going to go. And then when they left to go to college, that was a monster transition, mm-hmm. like monster yes. transition. But the really nice thing is that once I got over the grief of that, and I was pretty grief stricken, then all of a sudden a new thing emerges, which is they're young adult men. And there's a whole new way to be together now, yeah. which is incredibly exciting. And I'm just so pleased to see them operating as adults. And I'm so interested in their point of view. Not that I wasn't before, but I'm learning from them. It's mm-hmm. just, a, I love it. Unfortunately for me, both of my boys live in, the, in California. And so we see them frequently, thank God. But I don't know. I think have, being a mom of a, adult kids is uh, more fun than I had ever considered mm. it would be. Yeah. So you're in for a lot of fun. It you fe- are for real. It feels like when they go and come back, because I'm having a little bit of that with the 20-year-old. Yeah. When you say their points of view, it's like you suddenly see them separate from yourself. I feel like I'm like Geppetto. Like I was making him the whole time. And then yes. suddenly he came to life. At 20. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, you are walking and doing things and talking. <laughs> You're a real boy. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Right. Exactly. Isn't that wild? Oh, it's so wild. wild. It's so wild and wonderful. It really is. So another question I have, I think it's really hard to be young And when we're growing up, we believe that we know everything. But in reality, we don't. We know nothing. We know no things. We just like trying, failing. And your new podcast, Wiser Than Me, invites us into conversations with women who are older than you. And what are some things that you've learned from them? What are the joys that you can tell us about getting older? What inspired me to do, to even embark on this thing was... Um, I I saw that HBO documentary Jane Fonda. Yeah, so life. It's so spectacular. So good, right? And she's had such a remarkable and varied life, yes. right? She had like six of them. I mean, and so and I after I watched that, and I was pretty sort of stunned by how remarkable she is and the life she's led has been. I thought, why are we not hearing from? older women. Mm -hmm. What's happening? And the more I thought about it, I really do believe that older women are this uh, demographic, as it were, sort of an untapped natural resource Mm -hmm. that we have as a culture. And certainly as a woman, I really do want to hear from these women about their life experience. What can you teach me? What can I glean from your life? What tips can you send back to us from the front lines of life, which is where they are? So that was sort of the notion for it. I also spoke with Isabel Allende. I don't know if you guys Mm, ever had a chance to do that. Oh my God. She is so extraordinary. And the way she was talking about 80 
and how pleased she was to be 80 and to be living the life she's currently living, it made me want to turn 80. (gasps) I was like, Mm. oh my God, I cannot wait to turn 80. (laughs) She made it so appealing. Mm. Um, And in in fact, (laughs) we didn't even start talking about her writing you know, because she's this extraordinary Uh. writer. We didn't even get into her writing until like an hour into the conversation, which may speak to what a terrible podcast (laughs) I am. And and I'll own that if that's the case. But she was like, she was a journalist and she didn't write her first book until she was 40 years old. These are the stories we need. These are the stories we need. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the pressure to have figured it out in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 20s are so fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, the worst. The, I mean, the worst. Mm-hmm. They are the, the worst. absolute worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made They're worse by it, the fact that everyone's telling you they should be the best. Made yeah. worse the by best that. years of your life. Yeah. Ugh. You're so young. It's all vibrant. You're fabulous. <sighs> no. No. <laughs> and same for 30s to a, a certain extent. Anyway, the fact that she really embarked on this in her 40s was just totally remarkable to me. Mm. Every single conversation was, and I guess this is your probably your experience too during your podcast, but you know, it got intimate. It mm-hmm. got um personal. And I like the way that women talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. I like the experience of speaking with experienced older women. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I could do that for the rest of my life. Oh. I we yeah. hope that you do. It is missing from the world and we don't have any first person accounts from that. We only have these caricatures of what like an old lady is like from. Right. And and like the word old lady, it sort of sounds pejorative. Exactly. But an old man, a wise man, Mm -hmm. that trope is in place, Mm, but not so much for the women. And so we're trying to sort of stick a pin in that. And Diane von Furstenberg said, I asked her uh, how old she was. And she said to me, you shouldn't ask people how old they are. You should ask them how long they've lived, mm. which I thought was a different lens Ooh. through which to think about age mm-hmm. and aging. So I hope people dig it. I had fun making it. I'm still making it. It's a lot of work, yeah. but it's been fun. Yeah. Cool. Do you guys find it's a lot of work to do this podcast? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) It's like the actual conversations, if we could just do that, that would be the most fun. It's just the like- Getting ready for the conversation. Yeah, you want to get people Mm -hmm. and you want to be like, what makes them light up and what's the- things you want to talk about. I know. So- It's um, a lot of work and also the best work. Yeah. Getting out of my own head and soaking myself in somebody else's world for a week. It's wonderful. Actually, Mm, it's mm. wonderful. And I'm a writer, so I'm used to being alone all the time. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so to be able to do something with other people feels like I'm cheating or something. Mm, It feels mm. so much less lonely. And we're all family. Yeah. The three of us. So Mm -hmm. it's a a good gig. It's nice. It's a good gig. That's nice. I-X-L. Remember those three letters the next time your child asks you for help on homework. IXL Learning is an online learning community for kids that covers core subjects like math, science, and social studies in a helpful, feedback-driven way. So the fact that we cannot help our children with our homework now, which I actually cannot and stop being able to help them with after fourth grade, has been solved. IXL Learning's advanced algorithm is backed by research and in studies done in nearly every state across the country, those who use IXL are consistently performing better in school. Plus, their subscription covers pre-K to 12th grade and that wide range of ages and subjects is one of the many reasons why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And We Can Do Hard Things listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash we can. Visit IXL.com slash we can if you cannot help your child with their homework anymore. And there, get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Speaking of wisdom gained throughout life, 
it was five years ago, right? Almost six, I guess, in 2017, the night after you won your first Emmy for Veep, the next day you got a call with your breast cancer diagnosis. Do I have that timeline Yes. Right? It wasn't my first Emmy for Veep, but I had won an Emmy. It was actually, in retrospect, it was the last Emmy that I won Oh, for yes. Veep. It was the one that broke the record. Yes. And then the following morning, I got confirmation that I had breast cancer. So talk about the, the yin and yang of it all, right? Mm. It's just amazing. I've heard you talk about your journey with breast cancer and you liken it to this story of when you were snorkeling with your husband and he called you back to the boat. Yeah. Which I have thought about that story 1,000 times since mm. I heard it. Would you be willing to tell us that Sure. Story? My husband and I went on a trip back when we were in our 30s, actually, and we were on this boat, and we were um, doing this really cool stuff on this sailboat and swimming with dolphins and doing research. It was a really neat trip. Anyway, I was in the water. My husband was on the boat, and I was pretty far from the boat. Um, just sort of swimming around, paddling around, and we're out in the open water. And he comes to the bow and he says, yells out to me, Jules, um, I don't want you to panic, but there's a shark in the water and you need to come back to the boat. (laughs) That was not my reaction, Abby. (laughs) No, that's, that's the nightmare of the world. That's the nightmare of the world. That's right. And so what I did was I didn't look in the water. I didn't look down. I didn't look around me. I just started to swim towards the boat. And I saw the ladder at the end of the boat. And I kept my eye on the ladder. And I just focused on the ladder. It took so much personal, uh, what's the word? Chutzpah. Grit. Determination. Grit. Yeah. Yeah. Just all your And I kept my mind on that ladder and I'm getting to the ladder. And that is what I'm about. And that's the only thing I'm thinking about is that I'm getting to the ladder. And I got to the ladder. And I liken that to my journey with cancer because I just wanted to get to the ladder. Mm. And it was a bit of a wicked swim to get there, but I got there. In fact, my son had a teacher when he was in fourth grade, and it was the year that they were sort of giving them sort of longer-term assignments and um, papers that were, you know, a little bit extended. And she used to talk to the kids about doing their work in manageable parts. And um, it's sort of the same idea, just breaking it down bit by bit and tackling it one stroke in the water at a time or one chemotherapy session at a time and just ticking it off and keeping your eyes on the prize. Everything else fell away for me uh, during that period of time, except sort of getting better. It's an elite athlete's mindset. It's compartmentalizing and becoming really hyper-focused on what is important. And so oh, when really? you had, yeah, when you have your life obviously at risk, it's really something to hear you talk about that because the amount of times, though my life wasn't in danger, I can vividly remember complete focus, everything else falls away. It's funny, you're thinking that's an elite mind. And I was thinking that's an al- alcoholic thing. So I was thinking about sobriety, just like the next right thing, the next, the ladder is just like one more day of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And I also think that mindset, you know, can be applied to work. Not that work is scary, but for me, when things are, you know, all the engine is really running work-wise, all pistons firing is sort of the same thing. Everything falls away. Like everything else shuts down and it's a laser focus. And for me, that actually from a work point of view is like, those are my most joyful moments. Mm-hmm. which is funny. It's a mindset. It's a tool. It's a something that has been applied a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just what you're doing. It's what you're not doing. Because in that instance, mm. it was a 10 foot bull shark that was in the water. Yes, it was. If in the other instance, it was a terrifying breast cancer. I mean, if you were to decide to look away from the ladder in either of those instances, 
that's tempting, right? You want to know where the shark is. You want to Google the cancer stuff and like, but to do that, that's just feeding the thing you can't control. Right? Correct. The only thing you can control is your movement and your focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only thing you can control is getting to the ladder. That's what you can control. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Is there also, because you said what you're not doing, sister, it made me think, is there is there something about those moments where we also just don't do bullshit things? Like what doesn't mm-hmm. matter True. is gone. I have a dear friend who just went through losing her mother and it was a harrowing time. And she's finding the after more harrowing in a different way because at least during that time, she knew exactly who she was and she knew exactly what she was supposed to be doing. And every single morning she woke up and there wasn't anywhere else that she would be. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like giving birth in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else falls away. It's funny how life gives us these opportunities to exercise that kind of focus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Speaking of what you've learned about that time. I I don't want to do the kind of silver lining bullshit that people do, but I have a dear friend who is going through cancer right now and she's fighting really, really hard. And I swear to you that when I am in her presence, I have a distinct feeling of this woman knows something that the rest of us don't know, that Hmm. she just has access to a different way of seeing the world because of what she's going through. But do you know something now that you didn't know before having walked through and fought through what you did? Um, Yeah, I will answer that in this way. So um, normally I was in production at the time that I was diagnosed on Veep. So we had to shut down. And Normally, I would never, ever have talked about this publicly. I, this mm-hmm. would have just been my thing and I would have done it and whatever. Mm-hmm. No one would have known in the public. Right. Mm-hmm. But because I had, you know, 250 people working on the show, et cetera, et cetera, I had to make it public. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of that was that. First of all, it gave me an opportunity to talk about healthcare and people's access to healthcare and to highlight how lucky I was to be a member of a union and to be provided with healthcare through my union and how unthinkable it was to me and is to me that anybody who would be diagnosed in this situation would not be covered mm-hmm. is like mind blown, right? So there was that. The other thing that happened is that certain people started reaching out to me. Uh, First, I started reaching out to others. I have a a couple of friends who had cancer and who spoke with me very honestly about their experience and, you know, (laughs) talk about wiser than me, giving me a lot of encouragement and advice as to how to manage this and what to expect. And then I had the experience of being able to do that for others. Mm -hmm. So I met some people post my, or even during my cancer treatment or just after my cancer treatment that I could help them get through their cancer treatment. And I have to say something. I mean, I know it sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish, but it was incredibly comforting for me to do that, uh, to be able to provide help and encouragement and comfort to somebody who was going through what I had just gone through. I found that for myself to be very nurturing. And I still do. And I will say that, you know, having a, a brush with something as scary as a cancer diagnosis, you know, Uh, again, at the risk of sounding sort of (laughs) like you've heard it before, but we're not here forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't take my mortality for for granted. I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a way that's good, I think. Yeah. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations and multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. 
But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. You'll reduce IT costs, you'll cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you'll improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, and expenses don't slow down, so why should you? By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hard things. netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things. So we watched your new movie last week. Mm. We settled in to the bed and I thought this is going to be a light romp. This is going to be, we're going to giggle and laugh. I don't. I just need what you need we to did. know about me. We giggled me. and laughed a few times. But, yes. so I am a mother memoirist, okay? <laughs> I am inseparable from my sister. I am obsessed a little bit unhealthily with my 20-year-old writer son who sends me his stuff. Pod Squad, what I'm explaining to you right now is the fucking plot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This person in this movie also has a voice inside of her head that maybe tells her that she's not good enough. So she's constantly do-gooding and trying to write better and better things so that the world will tell her she's... And then she's trying to undo the voice in her head from her father with her partner, getting her partner's approval. And then she at some points figures out that while she's desperate for her husband to tell her the truth. We don't want to give this whole thing away. She maybe is not. No, it's all right. Okay. 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 I just want to make sure that maybe she hasn't (laughs) been telling the truth. I'm just talking about me. (laughs) Yeah. That maybe she hasn't been. Is it Glennon's plot? Is it your plot? One can't know. Been totally telling the truth to her son. I actually didn't know which part of this to ask you about. But one time my friend Jen said to me, Glennon, my whole life, my parents have been telling me that I am excellent. <laughs> and it took me my 20s, 30s, and 40s to finally understand that I am medium. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about one string mm-hmm. of the movie, which seems to be that we keep telling our kids that they're amazing and excellent and the best at things because we think that's love. And then they spend the rest of their lives <laughs> talking about feeling yeah, like talk about bad mothering, right? Yeah. Feeling like failures when they don't quite live up to those uh, accolades mm. as it were. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to give the pod squad an idea, cause you don't understand you, everything that you do, this movie, your demographic is here. Yeah. Those right are the here. people that are listening to the, uh, the entire podcast. We, we need to just squad. talk. We just need to keep talking for the next like 85,000 hours. Yes. <laughs> and we just keep them on board and we'll just all be one big happy family. That's right. But the story of the movie, You Hurt My Feelings, is um, it's a very small story about some very big yes. uh, mm-hmm. uh, human emotions and human relationships. And the, the Nicole Hall of Center uh, wrote and directed the film. We've worked together before. She's extraordinary, not only as a writer, but as a director and as a human being. She's a good friend. I love her desperately. And I'm really proud of this movie that we we made together. And I'm so happy to be in it. But the notion that her husband has not been telling her my character of Beth and her husband, whose name is Don, played by Tobias Menzies. My character realizes that her husband has not been telling her the truth about her writing and has been, in fact, lying to her about his impression of her writing. And it's like, it's like worse than having an affair. Yes. That's how gutting it is mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And 
We made a movie about it. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> you sure did. You asked me right away. You go, do you like the way that I write? Oh, I'm so paranoid now. <laughs> I'm so like, yes. I call my mom. I, I need everyone to tell me the truth. But then I'm like, do I need everyone to tell me the truth? Because actually, it's not that he didn't tell you the truth. It's that he didn't tell you his opinion. Mm. Because what if his opinion is, is not the truth? And that does discourages you. It's just an incredible exploration about truth and love. And like, is unfiltered truth what we need? Or is love the filter that we put on the truth? Correct. And there's lots of little lies and things throughout the movie. Yes. I think relatable little relationship lies, small, tiny little Mm -hmm. things that I think Mm -hmm. we probably all participate in. Probably. I'm guessing. I mean, what? What am I talking about? We do. Yeah, we what do. Are you? <laughs> you guys are liars. Maybe. Some You're of y'all liars. do it. What's Not the last me. lie you <laughs> told? Um, I lie all the time, I think. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. Oh my gosh. It's really beautiful. I mean, there's- It really is great, great movie. There's a scene- oh, yeah, I'm glad. Thank you where you just are trying to protect your son from something and you actually climb on top of him to cover him. And I was like, that's it. That's my parenting strategy. That's (laughs) what I've been doing. Yeah, that's mine too. Is That's mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, it was so good. It was so good. I really loved it. And I've never seen a piece of art exploring that. Like how much do we tell each other the truth? And um, you did it. It's beautiful. Thanks, Glenn. And I appreciate it. Did... Nicole, did she know you very well? And did she write it like about you? Because like the stuff with the dad and then. No, no. I mean, Nicole, Nicole and I, yes, we worked together uh, many years ago. We did a film with James Gandolfini called Enough Said. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we've been friends ever since. So yes, she knows me very well. I know her very well, but this was completely out of her brain. And, um, and she's a writer. And she could relate. And she told me this premise a couple of years back now. She said, what do you think of this premise? And I was like, oh, I love it. <laughs> the premise being finding out you're the most significant person in your life doesn't like what you do. Oh. <laughs> it's just, that is a gutting premise. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, let's do it. So I think she did write it with me in mind, but this was maybe more about her personal experience than, than mine, I think. And your adult sons, if they wrote something, how would you approach that? Like if they gave you something- They do, they go to you for feedback. So how do you give them feedback? Like how do you approach love and truth with your family? Um, geez, how do I answer that question? Probably Um, lie about it if I were you. Yeah. It's a, it's a cinch, Glennon. It's so easy. <laughs> you just climb on top of them. <laughs> I love everything everybody does That's all right. the time. It's perfect. Right. Great. And then they go out into the world and just get eaten alive. Eaten alive. But the other thing too is that when you have, when there are people that you love and you want to love what they've done, Mm-hmm. That can be the kind of fuel uh, f- f- for for understanding their work, and in a way mm-hmm. that can sometimes be bad because you have expectations going in. You want it to be great. If it's not quite gr- what you thought it was, then how how disappointed are you because you were expecting? You know, it's so complicated. It's so complicated. Relationships are complicated. We're all a mess. Can I just say it? Oh, we're a mess. God, thank God. It you took guys us almost are a an hour I'm to get mess. to that. Thank God. No. That's really don't give, the headline Don't give here. up, but we are all in- incredibly fucked. <laughs> Actually, that's the t-shirt. Yeah. Fuck the groovy is. thing. <laughs> <laughs> don't give up, but we groovy, are all Groovy, successful, fucked. and incredibly fucked. Yes. <laughs> that's the t-shirt. Yeah. You're talking about people who love your work and partnerships and you and your husband, I'm, I'm obsessed with y'all. I mean, 36 years married. It's amazing. You are each other's champions. We just had the honor of interviewing Michelle Obama and she was talking about how despite about 10 years there where she couldn't stand her husband, she's really (laughs) grateful 
to have made it through to a long marriage. What is the unique gift of a long ride with somebody? Mm. What do you find at 36 years that you couldn't have found otherwise? Oh man, we've been through it. I mean, what can I tell you? We have been through so much life arm in arm. Mm. And that is just magnificent. I mean, warts and all, by the way, you know, really Mm. difficult stuff, really joyful stuff, but we've been uh, partners and there's something about now having that history together. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed we've been married that long. I want to say like, <laughs> oh, we've been married, you know, we've been married 15 years and that feels, you know, yeah. but 36 years, like, oh my God. So how about, how long has your marriage lived? <laughs> yes, how long has your marriage <laughs> My marriage has lived for 36 years and, um, or soon to be 36 years. And, you know, I, I found the right guy. I could have fucked up because we got married. Mm. I was young. He was young. Um, and I could have picked the wrong guy, but I didn't. Mm. So that's good. Mm. I had a good instinct there. Mm. I had pretty good instincts. Yeah, you do. I'd say it's worked out all right for you. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see. I don't know. You got potential. You got potential. <laughs> thanks, guys. Just thanks for you. Thank you, guys. It was really, really nice to talk to you. Mm. And I, I, I was a delight to have this conversation. I feel like... There's so much more we could be unpacking, but I don't know what it is at this point. Well, I you let know. us know. I mean, we'll unpack for you all day. And <laughs> I just want to say, because I am I was a big Seinfeld watcher, and to see a woman in so many of those male-dominated spaces on that show was a big deal. And for you to carry scenes, like, that was big for me to be watching when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And I just want to say, I know that you have had to go through so much bullshit being a successful woman. I just wanted to say thank you. You walked a path for us and it just means the world to us. Thanks. That's so nice of you to say, Abby. I really appreciate it. And I was lucky to play that role and I was, (laughs) and it was unusual for its time. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really, but I appreciate that so much. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, unusual for her time. Thank you, Pod Squad. See you next time. Thank you. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do each or all of these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click on follow. This is the most important thing for the pod. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend, we would be so grateful. We appreciate you very much. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Mm-hmm.